This is the Radio Bible Class, and I'm your host, Tim Carter. We welcome you to our Bible study as the Radio Bible Class streams across the nation and around the world. We bring to you a message how Christ ministers to his disciples after the resurrection. We greet you on the internet and radio with the message that Jesus is alive today. Now, today's lesson is titled, Be a True Friend. It comes from 2 Samuel 15, 13 through 17, 29. But before we start our lesson today, Word Talk Inc. could use your support. Now, playing music on the radio may sound simple, but actually it's quite costly due to publishing rights and royalties. And before that first song is ever played, there's utility bills and tower rental fees and maintenance and so forth. We need people just like you to help with the tax-deductible gifts. So won't you do that today? You can do that by calling us at 601-483-8648. There, they can take your information safely and securely over the phone or mail us your gift to Word Talk, Inc., P.O. Box 4334, Meridian, Mississippi, 39304. Now, your gift to Word Talk, Inc. is IRS-approved as a 501c3 tax-exempt ministry. Your contribution is never used for salaries or managerial purposes, but 100% of it goes to the expense providing the good news of Jesus Christ to our listening area. Hebrews 13, 16 says, Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. If you'd like to go back and listen to a previous lesson, you can do that by going to our podcast website. That's Radio Bible Class with no spaces between radiobibleclass.podbean.com or catch us wherever you listen to your podcast. We're there too. Just search for WMR Radio Bible Class with no spaces between Radio Bible Class. Well, today we're going to cover two chapters, or at least I hope to. We won't go verse by verse like we normally do. I'll just highlight the verses I want to read. But let me give a quick summary because I have a lot to cover over these two chapters. As we've been studying, we've seen David become a broken man and a paralyzed man after having his fleeing with Bathsheba. And he's become frozen for whatever reason, and he's not addressed the issues of his son's sins. He didn't address the rape from Amnon on his daughter Tamar. He didn't address the death of Amnon by Absalom. And now we see that Absalom has started this coup, and today we're going to see the coup, but he doesn't address it. He doesn't challenge it. As a matter of fact, he leaves hastily with his family headed out towards the Mount of Olives, and he doesn't stand his ground and battle Absalom, being the warrior that he used to be. He doesn't want to strike the edge of the sword against his son. And so that's where we're going to pick up today. So if you would, turn to 2 Samuel chapter 15. We're going to start in verse 13. Again, I'm going to skip through these next two chapters, just highlighting certain verses. And I'll be reading out of the ESV. Verse 13. And a messenger came to David, saying, The heart of the men of Israel have gone after Absalom. Then David said to his servants who were with him at Jerusalem, Arise and let us flee, or else there will be no escape for us from Absalom. Go quickly, lest he overtake us quickly and bring down ruin on us and strike the city with the edge of the sword. So what David is saying right here is that we've got to flee Jerusalem. We've got to get out of here before Absalom gets back or he will kill us. Now in verse 16, it tells us that David took everyone with him, but he left 10 concubines there to keep the house. And that's important because we're going to look at that in just a minute. But the king left and he ran out of the house so fast he's even barefooted. If you look down at verse 30, we see that. But David went up the ascent of the Mount of Olives, weeping as he went barefoot and with his head covered, broken, weeping. David is about to find out who his true friends are. And that's what we're going to focus on today is his true friend and a friend that he thought he had that actually turned on him. Those two are Ahithophel and Ahushai. 
Now, I want to show you these two friends in our text today. The first one gets introduced to us actually from last week's text. So if you, so if you look back at verse 12, you'll see what it says here. It says, And while Absalom was offering the sacrifice, he sent for Ahithophel the Gilonite, David's counselor from his city Gilo. And the conspiracy grew strong, and the people with Absalom kept increasing. We talked about how Absalom was being deceitful last week, and we talked about how he turned the people against David and towards him. And we saw that in verse 6 last week, that Absalom did everything good and said the right things to the people of Israel, and he stole their hearts. He was a politician, and he said, and he tickled their ears, and they, he stole their hearts. And that means that he had their favor. They wanted him to be a leader. They wanted them to give him the stuff that he said he would do if he was their leader. Remember, that went on for four years, and then now he's gone to David. He said, I need to go worship real quick, uh, make a, a vow to the Lord. I need to honor that vow. And so David allows him to go. And he takes 200 innocent men that had no idea what was going on. But while he's doing the sacrifice, what the Bible tells us, and I just read you, is that Ahithophel, one of David's good close friends and a counselor, someone that had David's ear, he taps him on the shoulder and says, I want you to be a part of this coup. So now let's go meet the other character that we're going to talk about today, Hushai, the other counselor. Look back down at verse 30 with me real quick. But David went up the ascent of the Mount of Olives, weeping as he went, barefoot and with his head covered. And all the people who were with him covered their heads, and they went up weeping as they went. And it was told to David, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. And David said, O Lord, please turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. I want you to make note of that, because that's important. Now, verse 32, and when David was coming to the summit, the very top of the Mount of Olives, where God was worshipped, behold, Hushai, the archite, came and met him with his coat torn and dirt on his head. And David said to him, if you go on with me, you will be a burden to me. But if you return to the city and say to Absalom, I will be your servant, O king, as I have been your father's servant in times past, so now I will be your servant, then you will defeat for me the counsel of Ahithophel. So picture this today, that here's David going up the Mount of Olives, weeping with his head covered, and he runs into Hushai, and he is a symbol of mourning. He has ashes on him. He has his robe torn. So we see the mourning that he has with David. Now, I'm not going to read the rest of this. Maybe I'll point out verse 37, but the rest of this little pack of scripture right here is where David tells him, go back and be a spy for me. And he agrees to it, and he says, Take the priests with you, and whatever you hear, send them and let me know. And we see in verse 37, it says, So Hushai, David's friend, came into the city just as Absalom was entering Jerusalem. But there's a second reason, too, that David asked his friend Hushai to do this. And we see that in verse 31. If you look back at verse 31 with me, and David was told about Ahithophel. Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. And what does David say? Oh Lord, please turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. He's saying to Hushai, not only do I want you to give me intel and be a spy for me, but I also want you to negate Ahithophel's counsel, his wise counsel. David knows deep in his heart that Ahithophel could be the very reason that Absalom would have success. His own flesh and blood, who's now overthrowing him, willing to kill him, could have success with this wise counsel. So he needs somebody on the inside, not only to give him what's being said, but also to negate the wise counsel that's given. 
Now, if you're reading along in the text with me, I want you to flip over to chapter 16 now and start in verse 15. We're going to skip the part about the cussing and the cursing against David. And David says, let it happen. Right, The Lord will take care of that. But I want you to see the rest of the, of the story of this coup and these two friends. Verse 15, Now Absalom and all the people, the men of Israel, came to Jerusalem and Ahithophel with him. And when Hushai the archite, David's friend, came to Absalom, Hushai said to Absalom, Long live the king! Long live the king! And Absalom said to Hushai, Is this your loyalty to your friend? Why did you not go with your friend? And Hushai said to Absalom, no, for whom the Lord and this people and all the men of Israel have chosen, his I will be, and with him I will remain. And again, whom shall I serve? Should it not be his son? As I have served your father, so I will serve you. What we learn from this text right here is that Hushai is a great actor. He says, long live the king. Now, he doesn't really mean that, but he's going along with the spy tactic that David asked him to do. But it's interesting that Absalom stops him and says, hey, aren't you my father's friend? That's an interesting question because he's already stole one of his father's friend and a hit the fell. But he asked him, aren't you my father's friend? Why aren't you with him? But we wrap up seeing that he says to Absalom, I have served your father and now I will serve you. Now we know that's a rue, but look at what happens in verse 20. Then Absalom said to hit the fell, give your counsel. What shall we do? In verse 21, we see the counsel that he starts giving. He says, first, go into your father's concubines. Go lay with your father's concubines and do it where people can see it. So that when Israel hears of this stench that you've done to your father, they'll know that your hand has been strengthened, that you truly are at, a, at against your father. And so what happened is they pitch a tent on the top of the roof and Absalom goes and he lays with the concubines in the sight of all of Israel. But I want you to hear verse 23, because now you will hear why David wanted his wisdom to be negated. Verse 23, now in those days, the counsel that Ahithophel gave was as if one counseled the word of God. What that says right there in verse 23 is that his wisdom was so strong. His counsel was so spot on that it was almost like coming directly from God. And so was all the counsel of Ahithophel esteemed by David and by Absalom. So both of these guys needed Ahithophel as their strategic guy. And now we're going to see in verse 17, he, now after he tells him to lay with his wives, then he tells him about his uh, military thing. But let's stop and talk about him laying with his wives real quick. If you're keeping up with me in the text, turn back real quickly to chapter 12. We're going to start in verse 10. This is Nathan rebuking David after he has laid with Bathsheba, his one night stand, and then he's killed Uriah the Hittite. And here's what he says. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will raise up an evil against you out of your own house. Here's his son that's this evil out of his own house. And I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor. And he shall lie with your wives in the sight of the sun. So now we see two of the prophecies coming to pass. The very things that Nathan told him was going to happen is happening right here. I don't have a lot of time to dive too far into this. But this disgraceful act says a lot about Absalom that actually did the act. But it also says a lot about Ahithophel. It talks about the anger that he had in his heart. And he's asking Absalom to do and violate women in a similar way that his granddaughter Bathsheba was violated by David. You heard that right. 
uh, out of 2 Samuel 11:3, it tells us that Bathsheba's father was Elam, one of David's mighty men. This also means that her grandfather was Ahithophel. This wisdom or this counsel that he gave shows the bitterness that's down in his heart. Him willing to see these women abused. Absalom grievously sins and he's willing to let that happen. All in the front of the nation of Israel. But this disgraceful incident also shows that God kept his promise to David. But now look at the military advice that Ahithophel gives to Absalom. If you turn the page over to chapter 17, verse 1, Moreover, Ahithophel said to Absalom, Let me choose 12,000 men, and I will arise and pursue David tonight. And I will come upon him while he is weary and discouraged and throw him into a panic, and all the people who are with him will flee. I will strike down only the king, and I will bring all the people back to you as a bride comes home to her husband. You seek the life of only one man, and all the people will be at peace. And the advice seemed right in the eyes of Absalom and all the elders of Israel. This is great advice. Strike David while he's weak, while he doesn't have the chance to get an army together to battle against you. Matter of fact, we're going to learn that this was the best advice that was given. But Absalom wasn't completely convinced, obviously, because he brings in Hushai. And he asked Hushai, what's your advice? And so we see in verse 6 that Hushai came to Absalom and Absalom said to him, Thus has Ahithophel spoken. Shall we do as he says? If not, you speak. And then Hushai said to Absalom, This time the counsel that Ahithophel has given you is not good. Hushai said, You know that your father and his men are mighty men, and that they are enraged like a bear robbed of her cubs in the field. Besides, your father is an expert in war. He will not spend the night with the people. Behold, even now has hidden himself in one of the pits or in some other place. And as soon as some of the people fall at the first attack, whoever hears it will say, There has been a slaughter among the people who follow Absalom. Then even the valiant men whose heart is like that of a lion will utterly melt with fear, for Israel knows that your father is a mighty man and that those who are with him are valiant men. He had to negate what Hithophel said because it was great advice. And then he gives him this advice in verse 11. But my counsel is that all Israel be gathered with you from Dan to Beersheba as the sand by the sea of the multitude and that you go to battle in person. So we shall come upon him in the same place where he is to be found and we shall light upon him as the dew falls on the ground and of him and all the men with him, not one will be left. And if he withdraws into a city, then all Israel will bring ropes to that city and shall drag it out into the valley until not even a pebble of it would be found there. And Absalom and all the men of Israel said, The counsel of Hushai is better than the counsel of Ahithophel. For the Lord has ordained to defeat the good counsel of Ahithophel so that the Lord might bring harm upon Absalom. So what this shows us in this text is that Hushai does exactly what David asked him to do. He negates the wisdom of Ahithophel and he talks Absalom into going to battle when he could have stayed home to strike later and give David time to strengthen and put an army together. If you look at this advice that is given by Hushai, he reads Absalom and he plays his ego. He says, what? Send some 12,000 men out there? That's stupid. You go, you lead the army, you take all of the nation with you. You be the spotlight. Let it all be about you. And he's like, ooh, I like that. Yeah, this is much better. But I want you to look at the very last verse I read to you. That is verse 14. 
And Absalom and all the men of Israel said, The counsel of Hushai, the archite, is better than the counsel of Ahithophel. But I want you to catch the second half of this verse. For the Lord had ordained. Now, Hushai may have been given a word of wisdom. However, he came up with this advice. It was what the Lord wanted. The Lord was going to put an end to this coup. And he ordained what Hushai said to be good counsel against Ahithophel that the Lord might bring harm upon Absalom, is how it finishes up. The Lord didn't want this to go on any further, and he uses his shite. And what I want you to understand is, even though some of you listening to me today say, I don't know what to say, I don't know what to do, the Lord can use you even when you don't realize that the Lord is using you. The Lord is sovereign. There's nothing that he cannot do. And sometimes we forget that. We think we have to do it. We lose the perspective that the Lord will use us and he can take what we say and what we do and he can have an impact with it without us even realizing the impact that it has. The last verse I want to read and then we're going to kind of unpack the rest of this. Look down at verse 23. And when Ahithophel saw that his counsel was not followed, he saddled his donkey and went home to his own city he set his house in order, he hanged himself, and he died and was buried in the tomb of his father. What a sad and tragic verse this is. What a sad and tragic ending to this man's life. In the Psalms, not that he's named by name, but many scholars feel that some of the Psalms and the lamenting of a loss of a close friend is David lamenting about Ahithophel. If you've ever been hurt by a close friend, you probably understand what David is going through when he writes that lamenting. Think about a time that you had a very close, trusted friend that betrayed you, how you felt, and then what would you have felt like if they had passed, when you still were upset with them. I don't have time to go into it, but go read Psalm 55. That's one of the Psalms that they say is David lamenting against Ahithophel. I do want you to turn with me real quick, though, to Psalms 41, verse 9. Even my close friend in whom I trusted, who I ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. What David is saying right here is, I could take it from most anybody, but you are a close friend, someone I really trusted, someone who sat at my table with me and ate with me. We shared meals together, and you have lifted your hand against me. Jesus also quoted the same verse when he talked about Judas. Some scholars point out that there is a parallel, a foreshadowing of Judas and what he's going to do to Jesus right here in what happened to David. I won't go into it too deep, but here's a couple of parallels with it. Ahithophel was a friend of David. Judas was a friend of Jesus. Ahithophel conspired against his friend. Judas conspired against his friend. David wept on the Mount of Olives. Jesus wept on the Mount of Olives. Ahithophel joined a losing cause. Judas joined a losing cause. Ahithophel hanged himself. Judas hanged himself. A very interesting parallel or foreshadowing in this text of what happens to Jesus. Now there is one difference that I again want to point back out. Jesus did nothing to Judas to make him betray him. But David did have his relationship with Bathsheba. When you look at that very fact, you start to understand why Ahithophel, who was supposed to be such a good friend and counselor to David, turned so quickly against him. David wasn't a good friend to him. He slept with his granddaughter. He had her husband killed, and he shamed that family. And Ahithophel gives that same advice, telling Absalom, go up to the roof. Sleep with the concubines. Shame David. Bring the shame on his house, even though he doesn't say it, like he did on my house. A lot of things start to make sense when you look at that piece of it. 
Ahithophel wasn't a great friend because he couldn't forgive, but David wasn't a good friend either. As tragic as all that is, we see the way a friend should not act. We can learn from that. But the Bible also paints us a good picture. It shows us a true friend when we see Hushai. Now, it's interesting. Scholars say that there's not a lot known about Hushai. He's not in the Bible a whole lot, but he winds up being a friend through thick and thin, through good and bad. What this text shows us is that he's not a fair-weather friend, but he's there through thick and thin. And if you have some friends like this that you, even if it's only can count on one hand, you are truly blessed to have a friend like this. I can speak from experience that friends are vital in our life. They're hard to have a true friend. And so if you have one, you are truly blessed. And if you can learn anything from this text, one is if you have a few of these friends, you be a good true friend too. We saw that Ahithophel and David weren't good friends. But you don't have to be like that. You can be a true friend and be there through thick and thin just like Hushai was. How important is friendship or being a friend? The Bible speaks to it over 175 times. You might be saying, Tim, this is elementary stuff. I learned to do this back in preschool. I made friends out on the playground. But think through your life. How many true friends do you have? How many folks, no matter what is going on in your life, that you can count on? It's not as easy as you think. How important is having good friends? There was research that came out in the American Journal of Medicine, and it said that having a friend has a greater impact on your health than quitting smoking, starting to exercise, losing weight, giving up cigarettes or alcohol. So it's important from a physical standpoint. The Bible tells us that it's important to have a friend. Look at Job 2. Starting in verse 11, it tells us in Job 2 that his three friends heard of all the troubles that had fallen on him, and they traveled from their own country to see Job. And when they caught sight of him, they couldn't believe what they saw. They hardly recognized him. They mourned. They ripped their robes. They dumped dirt on their heads. This was that sign of grief that I was telling you about. And they sat with him on the ground for seven days and nights without saying a word. Let me ask you, are you that kind of friend? And do you have that kind of friend that would come travel far to sit with you for seven days without saying a word? Sometimes we as friends don't need to say anything. We just need to be there. I'm out of time, so I'm going to go through the rest of these verses really quickly. But turn with me to Proverbs 17, 17. Look what it says. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Are you that friend again? Do you have those friends with you that are there at all times? You love at all times, no matter what's going on, and you are born through adversity. You want to learn how to make new friends? It is born through challenges and tough times. This verse makes me think about two friends that I truly count as true friends. And both of them are not only good friends in good times, but they also are good friends in bad times. They've been there through thick and thin. Proverbs 27, 5 and 6 also tells us about a true friend. It says, Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Wound from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. A true friend is a true friend because they'll say the hard thing. I mean, what this is saying is that anyone will lie to you. They won't tell you the truth, but a true friend will. We shouldn't get upset with true friends when they speak truth to us. If a true friend says something that seems hurtful, we need to check ourselves. Maybe they're being transparent and truthful with us. And before we just get our feelings hurt and get mad at them, let's look into what they're saying. Proverbs 11:13. 13. Turn to that one real quick. 
A gossip betrays a confidence, but trustworthy man keeps a secret. A true friend keeps confidence. Proverbs 17, 9. He who covers over the offense promotes love, but whoever repents the matter separates close friends. This is saying that when something happens, we don't go spread our gossip. We don't go put it on Facebook. We don't go tell the world. We cover it up. We overlook it. We're like a duck and we let it roll off our back. And that's what a true friend does. They cover up offenses that happen. Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes 4.10 tells us if one falls down, his friends can help him up. But pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. A true friend will be there to help them when someone falls, whether it's morally or spiritually. Whatever happens in that life, a true friend is there. In Luke 17, 3 and 4, If your brother sins, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. If he sins against you seven times a day and seven times comes back to you and says, I repent, forgive him. This is where Jesus is saying you forgive seven times seven. If we're friends with someone, we will forgive them. Unlike fair-weather friends, we truly forgive. I'm going to close with this. You may have some friends, but you have no friend like this. John 15, 13 says, Greater love has no one than this that he laid down his life for his friends. This is talking about someone that gives up their life. Jesus is speaking about giving up his life for others because he's pointing to his death on the cross, the sacrifice that he's laying down his life for you and me. He is our true friend. He is willing to die for us when we were against him. Yes, as a true friend to someone else, we may have to do something that cost us time or money, and that shows that we are a true friend. But rarely do we show that we have to sacrifice our life for them. But I want to close with that. Jesus sacrificed his life for you. He was a true friend, just like Husai was a true friend to David. Jesus went to the cross so that you could stand before a righteous God and be covered in his blood and be washed white as snow through his blood. Today, we have a true friend in Jesus. Is he your friend? Let us pray. Dearly Father, we come before you today, Lord. We thank you for this time together. Lord, we thank you for this text. You know, it seems like there's this coup going on, but there's a lot of things that we can learn from this. Lord, we can see how you teach us, even when it just seems like just a history lesson that's going on. Lord, in our text today, we saw how true friends should act. We saw also how some friends shouldn't act. And Lord, I pray for the one today that showed up and has been listening to me and they've been hurt by a friend, someone that they considered a true friend. They may be like Ahithophel. They may be deep down hurt and had a hard time forgiving them. Lord, I pray that this word will go out and it will help heal. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit will come and help comfort them and help them understand to get over this hurt. Lord, maybe there's one today that showed up because they had a family member that hurt them. Just like David's son rose up against him and how much it broke him and it made him weep and cry and, and the grief and the shame. Maybe there's one here today that has those same feelings. Lord, I pray today that your Holy Spirit would comfort them. Lord, maybe there's one today that doesn't understand about laying down your life, about how you came and you gave your life for us. They've never accepted that. They've never really thought about that enough. Lord, I pray today that your, your Holy Spirit will be there knocking on their heart. Lord, they'll understand that they're a sinner and they're going to hell. That the only way to get to heaven is through you. Lord, that they will believe on your finished work on the cross. Lord, they'll ask you to be Lord of their life. Lord, they'll say, I'm a sinner and I need you and I need your blood to cover me. 
Lord, I understand that it's only through you that I can stand before a righteous God. And Lord, they'll ask you to be Lord of their life. And Lord, that they'll believe on your finished work and they'll confess with their mouth. Lord, we thank you for all your many blessings that you give this ministry. Lord, I pray right now for the ones that do give to this ministry that you will just bless them. It's in your name we pray. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.